Well, this is Ed Stetzer Live, and this and every Saturday this time, we have some really, what I hope, are helpful conversations, and we're going we're gonna to have one of those today as well. As always, we're going to take your calls, we're going to have some conversation about really thinking through the issues of the day. So if you want to listen to some past programs, last week uh, we actually had on uh, the, the guy who's leading out in the He Gets Us campaign. So I think people want to go back and listen to that, because that became news all over the world. That'll be fun to listen to, so you can go back and listen to that from, from last week. Uh, the week before that, we talked with Rob Suggs about kind of the Bible came to be. Anyway, you can go back and lots of programs to cover and always, I think, I, I think some interesting topics. You know, Karen Hendren's actually off this week. Trisha McMillan's filling in for her, but Karen does an amazing job getting us some really helpful conversations. We recently had Matt Markins talk about developing the faith of your children. Uh, we, had, uh, we had someone talk with us about the idea of uh, missions around the world. So go to edstetzerlive.com. We're super glad to have Trisha McMillan filling in with us, working with Bob Moreau and making our program today sing, as they always do. So let me tell you about our guest today. Our guest today and I, well, we work together. We work together. And Tim Pickavance is his name. is a professor of philosophy at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. He's a scholar in residence at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Newport Beach, California. Uh, here's a fun fact. I am a scholar in residence. He's a scholar in residence. It feels like we've bonded just over that. His most recent book is Knowledge for the Love of God, Why Your Heart Needs Your Mind. And Tim, the first question I got to ask is the question that I get asked, because I'm the scholar in residence at Mariner's Church, is do you actually live on the campus of Redeemer Presbyterian? And if not, how do you explain that you're a scholar in residence at Redeemer Presbyterian if you're not actually in residence? We need a definition. Help us with that. That's a great question, Ed. It's one I don't get very often, but no, I do not live on the campus of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Um, as a scholar in residence, I don't have any real formal responsibilities. What I try to do is connect with people as they're thinking about the questions that they have about their faith and try to help them process through those things and think carefully and think well and think about how those questions can draw them closer to Jesus. That's really what I'm doing in that role. I'm also an elder there, actually, too, which is a different kind of a thing where I, I actually help shepherd people in, in deeper spiritual ways and guide and lead the church. But the scholar in residence thing is really fun because it, it gives me an outlet for taking what I'm doing in my academic work and applying it in local church contexts. Yeah, I love that. Love that. And and uh, I, unfortunately, my scholar in residence actually make me teach and preach. So I'm a little, you probably do some of that as well. But uh, but I'm uh, I'm glad you're speaking into this. And it it kind of leads right into our conversation, right? We think of the academy, the scholarly pursuit of knowledge. It could be all kinds of different knowledge, in your case, philosophy, in my case, missiology, but both at the Talbot School of Theology. So in that theological kind of space, uh, we think of the acad uh, academy as the pursuit of knowledge, but... I mean, this is something for Christians. Jesus commands us to love God with our minds. But so why? Isn't simply believing and not engaging our brains, just having faith, blind faith, isn't that enough? I Well, you know, this is why I wrote the book, Ed. I, I Come on. This, I is, really why, this is what we call softball really... questions in the world. I <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I really wrestled with this as a, as yeah. a doctoral student when I was doing my PhD um, at the University of Texas in philosophy. I'd gotten into philosophy because I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ now, just called Crew, out, you know, sharing the gospel with random people on secular college campuses. And they had all sorts of questions, and it turned out many of them had philosophical tinges. And so... I got into philosophy because I wanted to help people meet Jesus. And I think that's a really important role for the life of the mind, helping 
answer people's real questions as they're thinking and, and considering the claims of Jesus and the gospel. I think that's super important. But when I got into my doctoral work, I started to really struggle to understand how it was that these things that I was studying in my study were relevant to me as a Jesus follower and to the church more broadly. And in the book, what I'm doing is exploring that question and trying to give a picture of what the life of the mind is for. Because at the end of the day, I think you're right. Jesus does command us to love him with our minds. And there must be some reason for that. The reasons that I came to are really two so I'll state them briefly here. If you want to hear more about them, I'm happy to say as I, much as you I like. I actually do. But, please do. Oh, yeah. Okay. So one of them is that we, we're we prompted to worship when we learn things about God and his works. The other is that knowledge is deeply and intimately tied to the formation of character. So, for example, all over the scriptures, you see, say, in the Psalms, the psalmist reminding people of truths or reminding himself of truths about what God has done as a way to draw his heart into worship, draw our hearts into worship of God. So I was thinking just this morning about Psalm 136, which is just an incredible thing. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. And then it has this pattern back and forth where the psalmist is reminding you of things that God has done. And that's meant to prompt your heart, your whole heart to worship God. And likewise, in, for example, the book of Romans, you see Paul talking about how the suppression of knowledge leads to the deformation of character in Romans 1. And in Romans 12, you see the, the flip side of that, which is learning and growing in your mind helps you form yourself into the character that Jesus would have you be. But more deeply, Ed, and this is the, this is the real kicker for me, and this is the thing that in some ways I discovered as I was writing the book. Both of these things, worship and character, are actually relevant to encountering God himself. Because as we learn and grow in our knowledge and understanding of any person, and this includes God, if we're doing that in relationship to them, that relationship is deepened. And so really what I think the life of the mind is for, for the Christian, the one who's already inside the doors of the church, the life of the mind is meant to draw you nearer to God so that you can experience him and be united with him in deeper and more profound ways. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I, I think that's the question. Some people are, they're intimidated by these things. They're, they're unsure about how to engage the life of the mind. And that's what I want to open up the phone calls to and let people come in and have some phone calls. Again, the name of the book is Knowledge for the Love of God, Why Your Heart Needs Your Mind. Obviously, it's a central theme of what Tim has written about here. Our phone number is 877-548-3675. Again, that's 877 877- Five four eight three six seven five. We're actually going to give away a free a few copies of Knowledge for the Love of God for people who ask insightful and brilliant questions or bring amazing comments. It's not just call up and say, "Hey, can I have a free book?" Um, but again, our phone number is eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. In the book, you say some Christians argue that knowledge exists in in opposition to faith. You know, I just preached at Mariners Church a couple weeks ago on science and faith, and I I kind of talk through some of what. Uh, that meant, and, and we need to lean into questions of science, not lean out. We don't 
I mean, it's, you know, a hundred years ago, there was like an opposition between, you know, Christians, science ruins your faith. And, uh, and if you're just a person of faith, just ignore science. But I, I think now we're at a place where we say, you know, these are overlapping domains. We need to learn from one another. All truth is God's truth, to quote Augustine. Okay, so, so here's the question. Um, in your book, again, you say some Christians argue knowledge exists in opposition to faith, that one has to either choose the truth of the real world of science or the truth of the Bible. Talk to us about that. Yeah, that is something that I think we really struggle with in part. I mean, there's there's a long story to tell about why this is so. But fundamentally, what's happened is that we came to think that empirical study of the external world was the primary way that we can get in touch with reality, reality as it really is. And that seemed to be somehow in opposition to the idea that we could know God, actually know God. And that what that meant was that insofar as we had beliefs about God or had faith in God, that was just going to be, as it were, blind. And I think this is in part a result of a confusion about how the scriptures describe faith, because the scriptures do talk about a kind of opposition between faith and sight. And then, of course, if you think that sight is the real way to know the world, you're going to think that faith and knowledge are in opposition to one another. But that's not what the scriptures are saying at all. In fact, the scriptures teach us, for example, in Hebrews, that it's by faith we understand certain things about the world. So faith in the Christian tradition actually opens up aspects of reality to us that we would not have had access to otherwise. And the idea is that faith is something that we know by receiving the word of God, receiving the testimony of God fundamentally. And that that testimony then allows us to then see things in the world that we wouldn't otherwise see. For example, we can see that when the woman puts the two coppers in the coffers of the temple, she's contributing more to the kingdom. That's something we can learn to see with uh, the eyes of faith that we wouldn't have seen before. You see constantly through the New Testament and in the Old the, 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 a conversation about how people can see the kingdom of God, the eschatological realities, the, the, the things that are coming at the end, they get to see those from a distance, they'll say. And so faith isn't opposed to knowledge. It's opposed to seeing with our human eyes. And so faith is what allows us to then see parts of the world that are unseen. That's the way the scriptures talk about it. And so I think what's happened is we've because we've come to think that knowledge of the world comes primarily through things like science, that has meant that faith and knowledge are opposed. But that's not at all what the scriptures teach. And I think deep down, we all know this anyway. There are all sorts of things that we know that we don't see with our eyes. We know the truths of mathematics. We know truths of morality. Those are things that we don't see with our eyes, but we know through other means. And faith is one of those ways that we can be opened to those kinds of realities. We're talking to Tim Pickavance, and we're going to continue our conversation with him in just a moment. If you like what you're hearing, by the way, Tim is a professor at the Talbot School of Theology, and uh, this is what our students get to hear. And so we love the uh, love listening to him to kind of opine and kind of share thoughts on some of these issues as well. The book we're talking about is Knowledge for the Love of God, why your heart needs your mind. Our phone number again, maybe you want to jump in and talk some about questions about knowledge, obtaining it and more. 
We're back at Stetzer Live. I'm Ed Stetzer. I'm the Dean of the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. And of course, your radio host this and every Saturday at this time. Let me also remind you that you can download this via podcast because, you know, let's, let's be honest. Not everyone's at the same place to listen to the same radio program at the same time every Saturday morning or afternoon, depending where you're listening. So actually, lots of people download this via podcast. You can go to edstetzerlive.com. You click a link there. You can get the Moody Radio app, listen to all the Moody Radio podcasts. Also, too, for those of you on our partner networks and our affiliates, I was just broadcasting over at K-Wave yesterday on Pastor's Perspective with uh, Brian Broderson. Uh, we also, you can still find through there, find the same same app, same download, same podcast as well. Thanks for the networks and partners. I had a conversation this week about the Faith Radio Network up in the North Central States. Thankful for you as well. Okay, so again, Ed Stetzer Live. We're having a conversation today with Tim Pickavance. He's He teaches at the Talbot School of Theology. He's got a new book. I want to commend it to you. We're going to give away a few copies. Knowledge for the Love of God, Why Your Heart Needs Your Mind. Now, it's a bit, um, I don't know, it's, it's, I'm trying to ask questions that real people ask, but Tim and I both work at the same university. And so we obviously think that engaging the life of the mind is essential, but we also think that in our movement that we call evangelicalism, uh, there's often sort of, there's even a book called the close, you know, talking about the scandal of the evangelical mind. There's, there's this ongoing idea that evangelical Christians maybe don't engage in sometimes the intellectual pursuits or the scholarly achievements that they should. I, I, I would love for folks to come and see all that we're doing at Biola University or our, you know, the parent of Moody Radio is Moody Bible Institute, all that's going on at Moody Bible Institute. But Tim, I think there's some, I mean, there is some reality to the fact that Christians can be people who need to be reminded that all truth is God's truth, um, and that part of what their call is is to actually feed their minds. And so how do we end up in this place as Christians that we're sort of like maybe maybe concerned that too much knowledge isn't good for you? There's even a Bible verse that sort of says that, but it's on the other side of the conversation. But tell me about that. Yeah. Well, I, I think part of the problem is that throughout the history of Western culture, people have made a lot of mistakes in understanding. And sometimes that's led us astray. I think, for example, there are, um, there's, a, there's a tradition that goes back all the way to the scientific revolution way back in the 16th and 17th centuries and carries through to today that has led us down a path that seems to have caused us to not have a clear sense of God's existence, of our own nature and relationship to God. And so we it's it's easy to sort of grow skeptical of the idea that these ways of understanding that seem independent of just careful study of the Bible, for example, can lead us down a path that is very misleading. And I, I can actually appreciate those concerns um, you know, there's a there's been a slow kind of development of of people who think that it's really not necessary even to think that God exists. But one of the things that's really striking to me is that actually all of those institutions and patterns of thought and ways of getting at the world, those were birthed within the Christian tradition. It was because people thought that the world was orderly and comprehensible that they started to think we should really study this thing and maybe we can try to solve some problems that exist in the world. And in many ways, that's been very successful. So there's a kind of tension, I think, in this story between the source and the roots of those things 
like modern science being come birth being birthed from the church and then the way that that's been kind of slowly twisted and changed into something that for a lot of people they think it warrants a kind of atheistic conception of the world where nothing has any real meaning and nothing matters and you know i think part of the the duty of the church maybe not every christian but part of the duty of the church is to remind people of that history and to help people see that really at the end of the day all that is that there is is god's and god is at work in even the created order telling us about himself and what he has been doing over the course of time and that if christians really give themselves to that they will actually learn things about God and be drawn into a deeper relationship with him. Does that answer the question yeah, that, that you're asking, Ed? I think it does. I think there are questions that flow from that that people are going to want to jump in on. And I kind of like where some of the questions are headed. 877-548-3675 is our number. 877-548-3675. Just follow up on your comment. You know, Francis Bacon, the scientist who who people point to as developing the scientific method, he explained, I'll quote, mm -hmm. there are two books laid before us to study to prevent us from falling into error. First, the volume of the scriptures, which reveal the will of God, and then the volume of his creation, which express his power. So that's a place where we lean into some of the scientific questions. But let's get to some of our callers as well. Let's go first to Lily. She's listening on WRMB down there in South Florida, I believe. Lily, you're live on the air. Go right ahead. Thank you. Um, that's an interesting topic you are discussing. So um, I believe that without knowledge, you can't really have a deep faith. Um, the Bible says that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, Proverbs 1, 7. How can you have knowledge without reading? And the other one says, yeah, that the other Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Whether you hear it, or you read it, or wherever you see it, you need to know. And faith requires a curious, inquisitive, analytical mind. Remember the Bereans? Paul the Greatest was teaching, and they were searching the scripture to know. Without an analytical, curious mind, you cannot have a deep faith that will sustain you throughout. When I was born again, I think God gave me this desire to know, read. I read everything I could lay my hands on. And that kept me, you know, st stable throughout all situations. Yeah. And I used to say, turn me upside down. I'll tell you, God is, is real because I experience him. And I keep experiencing him as I read the Bible day by day. And you read it through the year. You read it again because you don't even know what you're going to see. And God walks yeah. through his word. God is really his word. In the beginning was the word. The word is with God. And the word is God himself. So can you All know right, Lily, Lily, let me, let me give, Lily, 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 I'm going to give Tim a chance. Let me give Tim a chance to uh, to weigh in on that. And also, let me give you a copy of Tim's book as well. So, if you'll after Tim answers, we're gonna you, know, you hold on the line, and our, and our producer will come on and give you a copy of Knowledge for the Love of God: Why Your Heart Needs Your Mind. And so, Lily's Lily's advocating for the place and the centrality of God's Word in our learning and our knowledge, but also to other places to gain wisdom. How do we balance those things out, Tim? Oh, I so the first thing I want to say, Lily, is that I love what you're describing because. I think what you're what you're describing is in your own experience the way that your faith has opened you up to the world and seeing God at work in every area of the world. And this is so important because one of the ways that I think as you were asking before Ed about the the kind of tension that that people experience between learning and growing in knowledge and their faith is that if we're learning and growing in knowledge, but not referencing things back to God and the grand storyline of scripture, 
that's when knowledge puffs up and can lead us astray. And what Lily is describing is coming to see that God is the creator of all, that God has saved us, that he's communicated these deeply important truths in the scriptures, that those scriptures then teach us how to read the book of nature, as people like Bacon and Galileo would say. And that is so important for being able to go and do your science, do your history, do your sociology, do your anthropology in a way that leads you back to referencing and seeing God's works in those spaces. And when you're doing it that way, when you're studying that way, that's when knowledge prompts us to worship rather than puffs up and leads us to think that we can get by without God. So I think what Lily is describing is exactly the kind of passion that is called on by Jesus when he says we should love God with our minds. And of course, Jesus was a super smart guy, but he, and he made really interesting arguments and, and made a case for things in certain situations when it was appropriate. And what, but what you see is that Jesus's way of understanding the whole of reality was ordered and governed by what he had received from God in the scriptures. And that's the kind of people we want to be as well. And I hear in Lily's heart as well. Mm. So good. And Lily, super helpful comment. Now stay on the line too, because remember our producer is about to come on and going to give you a copy of the book. We're going to go to Jerry listening on K-Wave out of Huntington Beach, California. Jerry, you're live on the air. Yes. Good morning. Um, thank you so much for taking my call. And uh, actually Lily's question and answer was an excellent lead into mine um, because I was wanted to ask um, – I'm looking for – I'm more just more of a practical type guy, right? Um, I understand um, how we're interpreting and uh, your answer with the scriptures um, is there. Can you help me to uh, show where Jesus – okay, I don't really know if I can uh, point to a reference where Jesus – uh, talks about science, okay, uh, or even philosophy or anything like that. Um, I know he's dealing with it in the scriptures, but I'm the believer, and I want to sort of know for the non-believer, uh, the scientist type mind, um, you know, what? Ex- where can you point to Jesus and and show where he uh, where he actually addressed it, addressed this topic that we're dealing with right now. Yeah, yeah, super question, Jerry. Let me let's get Tim to weigh in and hold on the line too, because remember, uh, our producer will come on is going to give you a copy of "Knowledge for the Love of God: Why Your Heart Needs Your Mind." So, where does Jesus talk about this, Tim? Oh gosh, I actually can't think of anything offhand. That's, I don't that's think a really there is. Question. I don't think there is. But, yeah, but I, think, I, I think it reminds I don't think us there is either. that we right. Well, but we as evangelical Christians but, believe that uh, not just the words in red in the Bible are inspired by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. so that the totality of the Scripture, all 66 books. So in Scripture, well, we find, and thus the Lord has spoken. So go ahead. You were going to say, Tim? Well, yeah. So, But there are, there are places all around Jesus that do. So, for example, the beginning of John, the Gospel according to John, is very clearly picking up on some even Greek philosophical themes. So that's not exactly science so much, but of course, way back then, they wouldn't have differentiated these things. They were talking about knowledge. And of course, the word logos just means something like ordering principle or basic, you know, sort of structure. And it's describing Jesus as the logos of all of creation. And you see this too in Paul in Colossians 1, for example, Paul describes, and this is where the the early scientists were getting this idea that you could study the book of nature and thereby be doing something like theology, right? It's 
it's witnessed to in the scriptures, but it's also kind of part of our theological understanding of what the creation is. It's made by, through, and for Christ. And because it's made through Christ, when we study the created order, what we see in the created order is a witness to the divine, to God and his will and his works. And so you see that in the beginning of John, you see it in Paul, you see it in the Psalms. So the idea that we can study creation and learn things about God and who he is, is baked into the scriptures all throughout, even if Jesus never addresses that directly. Another quick example, in Acts, you see Paul engaging with the ways of thinking in the community that he finds in Athens in Acts 17, and drawing on those resources to make points of connection with his audience so that they can be brought into the people of God through things that they uh, already believed and and even locating places where they have questions and so on. So you see engagement with what the church tradition is called general revelation all throughout the scripture. And, you know, the closest I think we come with Jesus is Jesus using things in his environment as ways of illustrating what God does with his people. And he does this consistently. So that's not doing science, but that idea of doing science is something that's sort of new uh, in the last few hundred years, believe it or not. So that's the, that's, even though there's not something where Jesus does this specifically and talks about science as we would conceive of it, I think we see the witness of the scriptures throughout saying, engage with the natural order. And if you're finding God, that's the right way to do it. Mm. We're going to continue our conversation with Tim Pickabance in just a second. Let me throw a quote in there from Spurgeon. He is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same work and feels concerning them, my father wrote them both, British preacher Charles Spurgeon. We're going to continue our conversation and your calls in just a moment, 877-548-3675. Back at Stetzer Live, continuing our conversation with Tim Pickavance around his new book, Knowledge for the Love of God, Why Your Heart Needs Your Mind. We're taking your calls. Again, we've got uh, we got two segments left, so we're jumping in some of these calls, 877-548-3675. We're going to go to first to James in Tuscaloosa. I think we, James and I, James is a frequent caller. James, good to, good to hear your voice if you're the James who normally calls, are you? Yes, sir, I am. I, I really enjoy right, James, your show as always. Well, and I love your calls, and I and I so I got a, I got a fun conversation for you. So you know, you've been on the phone where I told the story about uh, the story about meeting Bart Starr at uh, at the Alabama game, Roll Tide, and while I was there, I didn't know who he was. You know, I'm, I'm that ignorant about sports. So it all came full circle. And I told you before that uh, my boss Tom Rayner, who was the president of Lifeway, made me go to this Alabama game and. Everyone was meeting this guy and impressed with him. So I walked up and shook his hand, and I said, Hi, I'm at Stetzer. What's your name? He said, Bart Starr. I said, Well, what do you do, Mr. Starr? And he told me he owned some car dealerships there in California. And, and we had a, he, and my friends have never let me live it down. So I was at the Super Bowl breakfast, and they gave out the Bart Starr Award. And I finally felt that I knew something because I knew who Bart Starr was. So, James, that's not why you're calling, but roll tide and jump right into your question. Well, roll tide, and thank you. He was a he was a good Christian man, just for the record. He was. Uh, yep. My my question is uh, in in this topic. Uh, I've encountered a lot of Christians who, through the years, have almost felt like there's a fence or a wall between being intellectual 
in having a relationship with the Lord, they they have told me, you know, that, well, you know, if you're too intellectual, then you can't have a really full spiritual relationship. But on the other hand, I don't see how you could not, and I know you've touched on this some, how learning things should deepen our relationship with the Lord. And, you know, I, I just don't know how um, how your approach is to that, but I, I'm thankful for you putting forth the book because I want to encourage people to do both because it is possible yeah. to do both. I think so. I think so. We're going yeah, to give thanks. you a copy of Knowledge for the Love of God, too. So so stay on the line after the after Tim answers, and we'll, and we'll jump in and give you a copy. So, so I mean, I, I and by the way, James is just always such a great caller with such great questions. All of our callers have been great today. So, but what, how would you help us to think about these things? I mean, can Christians be other intellectual evangelical Christians, or is it just we're just going to hunker, hunker down and not worry about those thoughtful, heady things and just love Jesus? Talk to me about that. Yeah. Thank, first of all, thanks, James. Second of all, hook them horns. And uh, third of all, let me see if I can <laughs> offer some help. You see, um, the irony, Tim, so, the irony, Tim, is that the, the, I don't even know what that means. All I knew is because I had to go to this Alabama game. I knew Roll Tide. So you, I'm assuming hook them horns is some other sports ball team somewhere else. But go team. <laughs> yeah, that's the University of Texas. Uh, there's okay, kind of a little right, bit of a rivalry that's brewing as Texas moves over to the SEC. So sorry, James. Oh, okay. we, we can maybe be friends, but we'll have to decide later. Uh, let me awesome. let me offer. I mean, the first thing I want to say about this is that evangelicals actually do have a long history of thinking really hard about God and his world. So that's it's kind of a myth that we haven't done that well. Um, and in fact, most religious traditions are this way, right? You, you often have lots of people in the tradition that aren't aware of or engaged in the kinds of things that, the, you know, maybe certain pockets of, of that community are, and that's normal and, and fine. But what I want to say to evangelicals specifically is that what we're after is a deeper relationship to God. And when you think about relationships to people, it actually boggles the mind that you could pursue a relationship with someone without coming to learn things about them. For example, hmm. I mean, I've been married for 20 years. And Ed, if you started asking me questions about my wife, you know, I was like, look, I, I really know my wife. I'm really connected to her. We're deeply relationally intimate. And you said, well, what color are her eyes? And I said, I don't know. I've never looked. And you said, hmm. well, when was she born? And I said, I don't know her birthday. We're just in a relationship. And you asked me, well, where, where does she like to go to eat? And I was, I said, I have no, I, I don't know. Uh, what does she hope for? I got nothing. What does she long for? I mean, all of these kinds of things that are connected up in obvious ways to growing in a deeper, more intimate, close relationship with someone, whether it's a spouse, children, a friend, really anything, we know it's so important to actually pursue understanding and knowledge of these people, their history, what they love and value, what they care about, what sorts of things they think are good and bad, what they fear and long for and expect. You know, those are just kind of obvious parts of coming to know someone in a deeper way. And the fact that we would think this might be different with God is really kind of bizarre, actually. <laughs> so, I think that our relationship to God likewise requires us to pursue him, what he has been doing in the world, what he's like, what he wants. All of that is bound up with our growing in intimacy with our father in heaven. And this should be very unsurprising to us. So what's surprising to me is that we've wound up thinking that, well, maybe it doesn't matter. 
that's mm-hmm. what I mean. And and so when I think about it, when I think about relationships in other contexts, it's kind of an obvious point that you have to grow and deepen your knowledge and understanding of someone in order to grow closer to them. And I think the same is true of our relationship to the triune God of heaven and earth. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. It's, I, I would also say my quite my follow up question would be if that's the case, and it seems the way you describe it seems self evident. You lay out the case and knowledge for the love of God, why your heart needs your mind. Your your book came out last year. Um, I guess now no, it's not last year. It's a year plus ago. Um, so, yeah. but so why then is that not the normal pursuit of every believer? Why do we need to be encouraged things? Why do you even need to write books about these things if we all just know this? It makes sense. <laughs> Well, I, I think that goes back to some of the things we were talking about before, which are are that we've we've kind of come to think that lots of book learning, as people might say, can lead us astray. And there are these ideas in the scripture about you know empty philosophies and so on, and and it seems it can seem like the world, for example, of academia is sort of set out against the church and so on. And I think some of those things in combination have led us to run away from the life of the mind when, in fact, they were actually calls to run harder toward it and to show that Christianity is actually the most compelling, the most reasonable way to think about the world overall. And there have always been people that have been trying to do that. But what I'm trying to do is call the church more broadly back to that kind of attitude. And I'm not the only voice in this. There are lots of people that are trying to persuade people that this is good and, and important. Um, I, so, you know, honestly, Ed, I'm, I'm a little puzzled by it because the, yeah, the, yeah. the, the push in the West toward deeper and fuller understanding of the world as a way of understanding who God is and what he's been doing was led by Christians. And so we've, we've slowly kind of crept away from that through a series of very small steps. And, and as often happens, those very small steps sometimes add up to a big step. And so what we need to do is constantly be sort of correcting. After all, human beings are fallen and broken creatures who naturally don't want to acknowledge God as their creator and savior. We want to build a life for ourselves, as we always have in our broken state. And so we need to be fighting against those intellectual temptations of sin in just the way that we fight against the more obviously sort of moral temptations of sin. And that's part of it, too. We have to include the consequences of the fall in any understanding of why it is that we got to the place that we are. See, I love some good some good theology there. I'll take I'll take that on there. I like that. All right, let's go to uh, Wheaton, Illinois. You may have heard of Wheaton, Illinois. Dr- Drea, I think it is. Drea, you're live on the air. Go ahead. Oh, good, good reaching you all. I have a brother who's trying to find God with his head, and he's stumbling into people like the Dalai Lama et al., and I wanted to know if there's a if there's something in your book that would provide a pattern for evangelism or a way to share um, share God with somebody who's kind of heady. Um, where would I begin? That's a great question. So. Thanks for calling in. And um, you know, my wife is actually from West Chicago, right next door. So uh, we're in that area a lot. I love that space. So the book, this book in particular, is not uh, it's not really for people outside the church so much as it though as it is for those who are inside. And so I, I don't have anything to say about how to go about evangelizing to people who are intellectually engaged uh, in the book directly. But what I will say is that if Christians are passionately pursuing the life of the mind as part and and uh, bound up with their devotion to God 
that will be a compelling witness to people that the life of the mind is not something that is only uh, available in other places. And that is an important step. It's not the only step we need, but we do need that. We need more than that, but not less than that. And so the, the book is more of a manifesto of what it looks like to be devoted to the life of the mind in the context of devotion to God. And there are, of course, loads of resources out there that are in, endeavoring to answer people's real questions about specific things to do with, say, uh, you know, God's uh, judgment in the Old Testament or the problem of evil more generally or the religious pluralism or what about Eastern religions? Those are all out there. And I would encourage you to hunt those down. But this book in particular is more for Christians thinking about why do I still need to love God with my mind? So, yeah, and that's, you, uh, uh, unfortunately, it's not going to answer it there. But there are those answers around in the literature. Yeah, and I would encourage uh, the, re the Reason for God uh, by Tim Keller is a great book yes. that may help with that as well. A Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. Lots of others. You can kind of follow their, uh, uh, on Amazon. I'll suggest some others. You know, make sure they're solid authors and more. Hey, we're going to continue our conversation. we got one more segment for your calls. 877-548-3675. We're back at Stetzer Live. We're in our final segment. Our guest is Tim Pickavance. He's a professor at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. We served there together. Uh, he was the interim dean, actually, before I uh, started just a few months ago, so I'm super thankful for his work. But he's really in this um, demand as an amazing professor and uh, and well-loved and appreciated. Well, you can just hear in him talk. You sort of know that the students would would resonate with the kind of teaching, instruction, and engagement uh, that he brings. Uh, we're taking your calls as well. We're talking about his new book, "How uh, Knowledge for the Love of God, Why Your Heart Needs Your Mind. So let's first, uh, next, we're actually going to go to Daniel in Elgin, not not far from the Chicagoland area. But, uh, but Daniel, you're live on the air. Go ahead with your question and your comment. Yeah, I grew up in a conservative evangelical church. Uh, mainly the Bible was uh, preached, and that's what we learned, and not much else was we weren't exposed to people like uh, C.S. Lewis and so on. And then I went to Bethel College in St. Paul. My whole world expanded tremendously in studying anthropology, psychology, philosophy, and great biblical teaching. Uh, it was just amazing, you know, what— what was opened up and deepened my love for God, deepened my desire to serve Him. And then I did graduate work at the University of Minnesota, a very secular environment. Um, and there I learned that, you know, great knowledge uh, combined with hubris and pride can be a dangerous thing. And when I'm thinking now of our culture and uh, secular universities having a daughter that will be going in a few years, it's like I want her to go to a, a university or college where science can be uh, taught fully and not, you know, hindered by ideology or the culture today where things have to fit into those um, popular notions. And I'm just wondering what uh, you two would think about that idea that maybe may be off a little bit, but uh, that's how I view it today, where um, knowledge um, th that is not combined with humility and the fear of God can be a little bit dangerous and it goes astray. 
Daniel, I got to tell you, thank you for your call. And Tim Pickavance, did I tell you that our callers were amazing here on at Stetzer Live? But I love the journey. And by the way, the people at Bethel College would like me to say Bethel University now. When you were there, it was Bethel College. You were correct in that. But but uh, and again, it warms our heart. You know, we're professors at a university at School of Theology. It warms our heart. Comments like that. But I really like where he also kind of pointed to that. You know, when he went through some of these other education, that knowledge puffs up. So, I mean, you hear things like knowledge puffs up, and yet you're kind of advocating for us to gain more knowledge. How do you reconcile those things in the Christian faith? I, I love this question. And this, yeah. this book, actually, Knowledge for the Love of God, came out of my teaching a class that more or less every Biola student has to take called Foundations of Christian Thought. And one of the central themes of the class is that if you want to pursue the life of the mind, you have to do it as a part of your devotion to Christ if you don't want it to do the sorts of things that that caller was just describing. And I think that's a beautiful thing that he saw happening in a place like Bethel. And I hope that here at Biola, and in fact, I'm confident that we do, we try to teach the children that we have, that we're entrusted with, right? And, and they are children when they get to us, and I think they grow up into adults as they're here. But part of what we're trying to persuade them of is that when you devote yourself to the life of the mind, to studying God and his world in a way that is meant to intentionally and consciously working to facilitate your connection relationally and devotion and submission to God, that is the way to avoid knowledge puffing up, leading to pride, leading to vice, leading to all sorts of other things that we see clearly uh, discussed in Romans 1. And the, the wonderful thing about the book of Romans is that it starts with that, but it doesn't leave you there with no alternative picture of the mind. In Romans 12, Paul very clearly suggests and says that you should be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because that's how you know the will of God. So I think that what Paul is pointing out is that there are two ways to approach these kinds of things. One is a way that says, I'm going to learn these things so that I can do things for me. What the other says, I'm going to learn these things so that I can do things for God. And if we hmm. go one way rather than the other, that's a fork in the road. And one way leads to disaster and the other way leads right into the presence of God. That's, that's the Best. key is making the choice to devote yourself to God in the midst of studying hard, studying well, studying everything, but doing it on behalf of your devotion to Christ and on behalf of his kingdom. So good. Okay. Let's, uh, Mary's got, a think, I think a question that will relate to this. Mary, you're listening on WKES in Tampa, Florida. You're live on the air. Yes. Um, you, you, the title of you captivated me, but the first thing that came to my mind is the verse of the Bible that says, deceitful is your heart. I want to quote Jeremiah, but I'm driving, so I don't know that that's correct. Can you expand on that verse where, it, where the, the heart is deceitful and explain it a yeah, little great, bit better? Great question, Thank Mary. You. Let's let's put you on hold so Tim can weigh in. Because, I mean, again, this kind of relates to the topic we're just talking about. You know, knowledge puffeth up, I'm quoting the King James Version, and yet the heart is deceitful. So, and you know, so if we follow our intellectual pursuits that our heart is inclined to, will that lead us into deception? Talk to us about Mary's comment. Oh, I, this is another place where I think we have to be on guard against the aspects of our heart, which are many and deep. I mean, look, I'm a Presbyterian, right? I believe in the depravity of the human heart. 
And so I think that the our hearts naturally are deceitful and inclined against God, but God does give us grace. He he saves us into his people. And in that context, to, with the scriptures and the spirit guiding us and indwelling us, we can fight the battle against those parts of our heart. When God restores us and helps us to uh, draw near to him in the first sort of initial way, that is a, a, an opportunity for us to live into the spiritual life that God has saved us into. And so it is true that the heart is deceitful and that we have to take care and be careful. That's why God has given us such a clear set of things in the scriptures to order our minds with. We need the clear teachings of the scriptures, the creeds of the church, uh, that are that are you know encapsulations of those great teachings. We need our minds and hearts to be devoted to Christ, ordered by those realities, in order to fight against that deceitfulness. So the deceitfulness that you find described in that passage you were uh, referencing is one that I think is real and that we need to be on guard against. But it's not one that we have no hope with respect to because of the work that Christ has done for us. Tim, I've got about maybe 30, 45 seconds. I want you to kind of speak last to this question. How does cultivating our intellect give us freedom in Christ? Oh, the freedom that Christ offers requires that we know and understand who God is and what is good and true in the world. Because if we order our lives according to reality, which fundamentally is the triune God of heaven and earth and his creation that he has made, we will live well and be free to do what is deeply human. And that is the key to the Christian life is growing in that kind of freedom that comes from knowing mm. God and his world. So good. So good. Tim, is it, am I allowed like as the Dean to come sit in on your class? Do I have to like be an auditor? I just want to, I just want to learn more of what you've said about today. <laughs> so, <laughs> you anyway. can come whenever you want, Ed. I guess I technically can. Tim Pickavance has been our guest. He's a professor at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, a new colleague, uh, a new friend, and very thankful for his work, both as the interim dean that preceded me here at uh, Talbot, but also his ongoing work just educating our students who just speak of the, well, the life change they experienced in his classes. Uh, so again, thanks so much. Thanks for our team here, behind the scenes team, sitting in on the producer chair today, Trish McMillan, Bob Moreau, and I didn't mention earlier, let me mention now, Laura Manning the phones. Thanks, Laura. Today, hear today's program again. You'll find it at edstetzerlive.com or at the Moody Radio app. You can also connect with us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Ed Stetzer Live. And remember that Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, which, of course, is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. We're super thankful for the life of the mind that's cultivated at Moody Bible and more. Thanks for listening to Ed Stetzer Live.